You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. You might have heard tell that there's yet another abuse scandal in an organization in the news. This time it's the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, the largest Protestant denomination of Christians in the United States of America. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Now, wait a minute. I signed up for a culture and politics podcast. What does abuse or a church scandal have to do with any of this? It has everything to do with it. When you consider that the definition of politics is the study of how mankind regulates itself through power and authority, and culture is the things that bind us together as people groups, and so when we talk about abuse, that is something that tears at the fabric of all of that. The news item that brought all this up was Russell Moore leaving the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC. Now, why is that important? That's the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's who does their political activism. It's a lobbying group. They do voter drives. We all know how much evangelicals have become a political force in America. A quick view of the last few years makes that very apparent. From Russell Moore that dates back to 2020, he wrote this about the disparaging and poor treatment of a sexual abuse survivor by the executive committee of the SBC. He boldfaced and highlighted it in his letter and said, quote, I am trying to say this as clearly as I can to you, brothers and sisters. These are the tactics that have been used to create a culture where countless children have been torn to shreds, where women have been raped, and then, quote, broken down, end quote. Those tactics that he's referring to are universal across the spectrum and across different scenarios of how abusers work. And we're going to talk to Jennifer Greenberg, who's an abuse advocate and an author, and somebody who actually worked with Russell Moore and was his conference speaker when he tried to address these issues. She's going to explain to us that whether it's a church or a family or politics or a corporate setting or whatever the case may be, abusers always use the same tactics that Russell Moore was talking about in this letter. Now, Jennifer comes at these issues from a 
faith-based perspective. But even if you aren't a Protestant or of the Christian faith or have another faith system, or even if you're secular, it's good to hear her out both as a survivor and as an advocate on how these sorts of things work. Now, one word of caution, this conversation will delve into issues of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, and things like this. So if those are topics you may have trouble with, use your best discretion in listening. So with that said, we'll get into this episode of Heard Tell. Whatever you've heard about abuse, whatever you've heard about the SBC scandal that's in the news, we're going to talk to Jennifer Greenberg about all of it right after this. And I'm thrilled to be joined with our friend Jennifer Greenberg. How are you, ma'am? Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you, Andrew. I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate it. Now, you obviously write most of your advocacy from a position of your faith, but one of the things that really grabs me about it is whether it's in a church environment, a political environment, a corporate environment, the the methods of abuse and kind of the systems that abusers use seem to be universal beyond just a family dynamic or a faith dynamic. There, there's a clear lineage of how these things keep happening, not just in our churches, but also in our politics and our companies and in our families, do they not? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really actually it's disturbing and it's also fascinating um, the patterns that abusers follow to kind of um, surround themselves with people who maybe are naive or gullible um, or who are also corrupt. So they kind of have this community that doesn't see or doesn't want to see or is tolerant of their behavior. And we see that pattern happen, like you said, in churches, in corporations, in communities, and in families. And it's really, I think, you know, it's it's a behavioral pattern, but I think it also just, there's a logic behind it. You know, they don't want to get found out. They don't want to get caught. But also they want their victim to feel isolated and not believed. And so this just... From a practicality standpoint, this is how they operate. And we see that, we saw it in your own story that you lay out in your book, uh, Not Forsaken, but we've also seen that in the political realm where people try to silence folks for the quote-unquote greater good. We see it in our churches, both in the, the Catholic Church scandals that we've had in the past and kind of ongoing now in the news cycle. We've seen the Southern Baptist Convention having their issues with it, same thing. People saying, well, we we have people saying we should do this for the quote unquote greater good. It's also in the family dynamics where it's, you know, the adult figure will say, well, it's for the greater good of the family. We keep this quiet. Why is it always the greater good? You talk in your book, um, even when you're trying to talk about something like forgiveness, there's always that burden from the outside placed on the, the victim or the survivor to try to rise up to that greater good when the dynamic should really be the other way around to protect them, should it not? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting. And, and I go back to the Bible, there's a, there's a Bible verse and I'm not going to remember the verse off the top of my head, but it, it talks about how they exchange the truth for a lie or they call evil good and good evil. And, um, that concept is throughout scripture. You'll see, um, you know, people, people claiming that, um, some sin or some bad thing that they want is good, that it's, you know, it's glorifying to God or, or, or their idol or their religion, whatever it may be. And I think that it's a tendency just in humanity in general. And also it's a form of psychological abuse. So what abusers will try to do is they'll try to 
uh, make their victim feel like they're the ones with the problem, that if they don't go along with this, then God's going to be upset with them, um, Jesus is going to be mad at them, uh, they're not a good person, you know, if they're really a good person, then they'll honor their father, and honoring your father means keeping all his secrets, and um, so it, you know, it, it's kind of culty, in fact, you know, in a lot of ways, right. I feel like when I escaped um, domestic abuse, even though it was in my home, it really felt like I'd escaped a cult. And I've had the same experience in um, churches. If I if I leave when I leave a, a toxic or abusive church situation, there's this this kind of cultic um, feel to it, um, where the abuser or the offender, you know, um, they want you to feel morally obligated to keep their secrets and to go along with them. And it's just um, it's a real twisting of truth. Really, I think, particularly in a religious setting, it's, it's a kind of blasphemy. Because what they're saying is that God, um, that God underwrites what they're doing, and it's simply not true. I, I find it troubling, just as your friend on social media for some time now. You had to have known when you started doing public advocacy for this and telling your own story, you, you had to know to some point that you were going to get some, some pushback and blowback from those types of people that are invested in that sort of wickedness. But... Did, did you really understand like you do now? I, I, I see a little bit of it. I'm sure it's just the tip of the iceberg to what you see in your private messages. And I, I know some of it. Um, did, did you not, did you expect to be like, well, I can tell the truth and the truth's enough. And when you're dealing with people that are hiding secrets like that, church people, politicians, powerful people, even, even just like the patriarch of a family that has a, a small bit of power over a family, did you really realize how much of a, a sort of mass pushback you would get from corners like that when you went public with this sort of advocacy? Um, you know, yes and no. I think that one thing that happens particularly on social media is that people who want to cause trouble can be really, really loud. Oh, yeah. You know, you might have yeah. one person create 10 Twitter accounts to troll you from. And so, you know, and of course, you know, good, honest people are not going to do strange things like that. Right. But, you know, when you're dealing with abusers, you're not dealing with good, honest people. So they'll, um, they will use manipulation, they'll use gaslighting and gossip and lies to just kind of make you feel isolated and disbelieved and um, ashamed or embarrassed. And so in a lot of ways, I did expect it. And I think... I think also in a strange way, um, my experiences in the past in my family um, prepared me for that because, you know, there's not really anything anybody can say to me that my dad or or someone close to me hasn't already said. Mm. Um, you know, they can, it, it's just the lies and the, uh, the false accusations and the shaming and the name calling. This is all stuff that I've already faced from people who I dearly love, from people who should have been protecting me. So when strangers online or in the media or whatever, when strangers start saying these things, it's just kind of like, you know, yeah, that hurts. But at the same time, whatever, you know, it's just this person doesn't know me. They don't have any impact or influence on my life. Um, you know, if it weren't for Twitter or Facebook or you know, I wouldn't even know they exist. So, 
<laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that sense, um, you know, I feel that I did, I was prepared for it, but you know, anytime someone kind of tries to smear you or blackball you, um, it's hurtful. And so it does bother you. But the trick, I think, is to focus on the people in your life who do love you and who respect you and believe you and not draw your worth or measure your effectiveness by strangers online. Because if you do that, you're always going to be depressed. Um, You've got to look at the people who are affected, who do care, who are listening and um, focus on them and stay positive and create those healthy boundaries um, so that people who are toxic and abusive can't get to you. So you're you're at that point of your process where you have a little bit more armor around you from all your experiences. When you're talking to a, a survivor now who's maybe on the front end of that process, just starting to go through uh, dealing with what's happening to them, how do you explain that gap of, hey, someday you're going to get to this point, but you understand that they're not there yet? What What do you tell them to kind of encourage them to get to that point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a process for sure. I was um, recently talking to a guy who, um, he was actually worried that he's not a Christian because he's struggling with panic attacks and depression and he was worried that maybe his faith isn't real because um, he's he's just struggling so badly. And one thing that I think is really true, at least in my life, um, when I was healing from trauma, you know, you in order to heal from trauma, you have to confront trauma. You have to uh, deal with the memories, um, kind of slowly and surely make peace with the past one injury at a time. And so that's all part of the healing process is just acknowledging that, yes, you you went through this terrible ordeal um, and it was evil and it was painful and it was a profound betrayal. And so I told him, look, this is this is no sign that God's abandoned you. This is no sign that you don't have faith. This is actually a sign that God is working in your heart because he's helping you confront these memories and And he's helping you realize that you have things in your past that that you need to deal with and that you need to heal from. You know, he could just leave you in that state of denial, um, you know, going along, being depressed, being, you know, um, having broken relationships, having fake friendships. Um, But instead, he is bringing all these things to light in your life so that you can put up healthy boundaries, get rid of those toxic relationships, and start healing. And so rather than look at this as a sign that you don't have faith, that you're not really saved, look at this as a sign that God really loves you. And he's intervening in your life that you can get away from this stuff so that you can recover. Um, and, you know, for me, that, that shift of perspective is really important. It's, it's interesting because we were talking about individuals needing to do that process, but there's also organizations that need to, need to do that process. And, and we alluded to it earlier, but um, the Southern Baptist Convention, for those that don't know, that's the largest Protestant denomination in America, um, was all over the news, uh, Russell Moore has left uh, his post with them. 
a letter that he wrote back in 2020 uh, leaked out where he addressed, and he used a lot of the same terminology you're just talking about, um, secrecy, gaslighting, things like that. You know Dr. Moore, when he did a conference to address abuse a while back, you were one of the people he called to speak. You spoke at that conference. You've written about how you thought that was a positive development. What What is your thoughts when you hear not just uh, somebody from a family situation, but somebody like Russell Moore dealing with that at a at, in a corporate level inside of a denomination like that, and it's the exact same terminology and the exact same issues? Yeah, honestly, and I actually told him this. I, t- I talked to him the other day. Um, it's really encouraging to me because... I know that there are people who are influential, who are looked up to, um, who have uh, built a ministry where they're influencing the church, they're helping a lot of people, and they know exactly how I feel because they've been through this too. And so I know that I can be believed. I know that I can speak even when I'm told to be quiet. I can tell the truth. And not fear that good and righteous people are going to believe me because they've, a lot of them, have gone through the same things. You know, I really feel like these sorts of cultures of abuse, these um, these systems that are, I, I don't want to say necessarily that the system itself is um, necessarily abusive. I think what it is, is it's abusive, abusive people get into the system and they start leveraging it for abuse. Um, you know, it, it's it's like anything. You can use a you can use a knife to cut a sandwich, or you can use a knife to stab someone in the back. Um, the same goes for church governments and um, you know and family structures and things like that. You can use this for good, or you can use it for evil. And so when I'm talking to someone like like Russ Moore, um, you know, or 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 anybody else. I feel comforted knowing that I can know that they've seen this too. So it's not like I'm a freak case. It's not like I'm alone. Um, This is a real problem that we're facing, and because of that, we can face it together. You find that uh, when you find somebody like him that's getting pushback or yourself even on social media or something, do you take some comfort in knowing like, okay, I know I'm taking some slings and arrows here, but at least it's in public and people are seeing it. So it's revealing what's going on. Is is that how you try to take some of that criticism and, and not that you want to or you enjoy it, but is, is, is that where you can kind of go like, okay, I can still be a happy warrior, even though this is a really heavy topic. And it's kind of what Dr. Moore got at in his letter as the way he ended it was, you know, I, I'm still trying to do this, and I'm still trying to call people brothers and sisters, even as they're attacking me. Is is that the mindset you just have to have when you're dealing with something like this to to affect the change of like, yeah, they're after me, but at least everybody can see it now and it's out in the open? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've had situations before where um, a pastor or church leader or even had, I think it was a guy who claimed to be a therapist, just say something really just ridiculous and abusive and toxic and people see that and they're shocked but you know from my perspective it's like they're just it's like they're just throwing ammo at me you know it's like here's all this evidence that what you're saying is true (laughs) no absolutely (laughs) um yeah they're i mean they're really shooting themselves in the foot because you know i 
basically what happens is I come out and say abuse is a problem in the church. And then all these people say abusive things back to me. And the people who are witnessing this are like, whoa, this is a big problem. This isn't just Jennifer saying that it's a problem. We're witnessing this happen. And so you see that abusive dynamic played out, particularly on, on social media, so vividly. And then, of course, you know, once it's posted, it, it lives forever because people screenshot it and all that stuff. Right. So you have evidence that these attitudes exist. Um, whereas, you know, when you're in like a pastor's office or, or you're at home in your living room and this stuff goes on, you know, unless you've got like a hidden camera somewhere, you have no evidence. And so, um, so yeah, very much so. When, when this stuff happens on a very public scale, um, I view it as validation. It's a hard way to get validated, though. <laughs> I, it I, is definitely. It's like, you know, it's like saying there's an avalanche over here. And then right on cue, the avalanche, you know, avalanches. <laughs> right. Yep. I I, I wonder because, and and I've been I've been in Southern Baptist churches on and off. I don't really consider myself a Southern Baptist, but sometimes that was where I chose to worship, depending on where I lived at the mm-hmm. time. I've been a member of a Southern Baptist church before. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wonder because I I see this thing happening where folks have started to kind of meld all their identities into one big ball, and they're taking their faith, and they're taking their politics, and they're taking all everything about them and trying to make it into one same thing. And it seems like that just makes these power structures you talk about that make abuse so rampant. It it seems like it, it makes it almost an incubator where it's like, well, if everything's wrapped up into this one identity, then everything Mm -hmm. has to be protected to keep that going. And, And it seems like while we're having a lot of progress with social media and bringing awareness it's driving those those other elements that are that are not good elements. It's almost like it's condensing them and almost making them worse in a way. Absolutely. Well, it's a form of idolatry. You know, when you love your denomination more than you love mm. Jesus, your politician, your brand, your church, your community, whatever, anything you love more than Jesus is going to be an idol. And so, um, you know, generally, at least in my personal life, I think that it's really unhealthy to identify so strongly as Presbyterian or Reformed or SBC to the point that when someone else who is Presbyterian or Reformed or SBC does something terrible, you feel the need to cover it up. That's not, it's just not healthy. It's not Christian. Um, It's not honoring to Christ whatsoever. Um, And so, yeah, I, I feel that what I think what you're hitting on is absolutely correct. There's this kind of, and this goes back to that kind of cultic mentality. Yes. You know, you've got this thing that you, that you worship that you must defend and it it grows to the extent that, that you'll defend it. Even if the cost is, is the safety and well-being of children. And that's just appalling. When you're dealing, and again, obviously, you you bring it all from your point of view from faith. But for a, for somebody that's of a secular audience, or maybe he's not really familiar with a, the the Protestant side of the Christian faith, especially the American side of it, which is very distinctive. How, how do you how would you explain it to them? Because there's been some criticism, and and frankly, it's fair criticism of, well, if you have a big organization like that and it has 
like an SBC or or any other denomination for that matter. Well, it, they're picking their own leaders. They brag about picking their own leaders. They're responsible. What what do you tell people about? Yeah, there's there's still good people, but yes, they do need to take more of responsibility. How would you handle that to somebody outside that maybe doesn't understand it and be like, yes, they need to do more. No, they're not all bad people. How do you address that kind of criticism that has some validity to it, but you don't want to have a broad brush at the same time? Sure. That's a really tough question. Um, let me think. I think that just generally speaking, you know, anytime we're talking about a big organization like a denomination, there's going to be a lot of different churches. And, you know, I think about my own denomination of the OPC, that's the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Right. Compared to the SBC, it is microscopic. <laughs> Nevertheless, there are some churches that are wonderful and safe places, and there are other churches that, honestly, I, I don't trust the leadership. I think that there are some really dark things being covered up. And so what I would advise people, and I, I advise survivors to do this, you know, I, I often get um, contacted by a survivor who will say, look, um, the only good church, you know, only decent churches near me are SBC. But, you know, I hear all these scary stories on the news and I just don't know what to do. And my counsel is, Look for a safe church. Don't focus so much on the denomination because I will tell you, from my point of view, from where I'm standing as an advocate, you know, I hear a lot of stories out of a lot of different denominations, and I can tell you there is no such thing as a safe denomination. They are all corrupt. It's like saying, oh, well, um, what's a good political party? What's a part? What's a political party that I can align with where I'm just going to agree with everything that happens and nobody's ever going to do anything that I think is bad or that I disagree with, that doesn't exist. Right. You know, whether you're conservative or liberal, you're always going to be aware of or to encounter circles within your home base where you disagree strongly, where bad things are happening, where the weak are being oppressed, where people are being misused. And the reason is because we're human beings living in a fallen world. We're sinners. And so sin is always going to happen. What matters is how are we responding to that sin? And so like just recently, um, Jason and I were looking for a new church, right? And so we attended this church, um, you know, for quite some time. And and, and we're just trying to get to know people. We're not rushing into membership. And one of the things that I've wanted to do is, you know, look at, okay, when they encounter evil, when they encounter an abusive person or um, someone with a sin problem that's hurting others, how are they going to handle that? What does that look like? Are they going to sweep it under the rug? Are they going to um, kind of in-house things? Or are they going to report abuse to law enforcement or um, outsource um, really complex issues to a therapist or a lawyer or, you know, a physician or, you know, how are they going to handle these things? Um, and so to me, bef anytime before I join a church, I want to know this and I don't want to just hear what the pastor tells me they do. I want to see it happen. 
um, because those are two very different things. Because a lot of times, you know, the people will tell you, well, ideally in this situation, this is what we plan to do. But what happens is, you know, when, you, when people get faced with an abusive situation, it's messy. Nothing happens by the book. Nothing right. is expected. And so, you know, how they react in real time might be a lot different than what they planned to do in their heads. You know what I mean? That's not necessarily their fault. Um, it's just the nature of things. And so I want to see how they respond to these situations uh, before I join a church. And before I join a church, it's always I'm always going to be looking at the individual congregation. Because particularly in a Southern Baptist um, uh, convention, uh, you're looking at a very loose conglomeration of churches. You're not looking at a hierarchy like you find in Presbyterianism. Now, that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. The good thing is that, like, for example, in Presbyterianism, I've seen it where an entire presbytery will be corrupt. It'll just be overrun with corrupt leaders. And then the church government, the hierarchy, is actually used to silence and cover up abuse hmm. on a large scale. And so then you're seeing a, a system that's really being abused by abusers. Um, now, of course, in, in Baptist circles, that can't really happen because all the churches are autonomous. Um, on the downside of that, though, is that if there's a pastor over here who's being abusive, then the pastor over there is really limited as to what he can do about it. So unless crimes are being committed and he calls 911 or whatever, um, he's very limited in his, in the church, within the church government to do much about it. I mean, they can kick him out of the den denomination, but whoop-de-doo, what does that do? You know, I mean, right. it, the, the abuser is still in power in that church and in that community and really nothing has changed except for the sign. Right. So, um, you know, again, I would just say, look really carefully at the individual congregation you know, and, and the people who are in charge and how they respond to evil. Yeah, one of my mentors, when I first started learning to be in a leadership role, he told me something I never forgot, and it applies to just about everything universally, of you correct mistakes, you punish crimes. He said, and, yep. you're, not, and you're not equipped to punish crimes. He said, if you, yep. try to, if you try to mix those two things, you're not only going to make the situation worse, you're probably going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And it's something yep, that has exactly. been proven. I was in the military when he when he taught me that, and I was one of those problem childs that he was fixing with that. Inf just to be clear, <laughs> I was I was not in a good place <laughs> when he told me that. But also in my civilian career, and even you know even as a parent, uh, you have small yeah. children. I have uh, teens and adults now. God help me. Uh, <laughs> you correct errors and you punish crimes. And I think too many, whether it's a church or a political organization or a company or even families, I think you have a lot of really good people that think they can excuse away a crime into a mistake and they're going to somehow fix it. And yeah. that's yeah. where a lot of this stuff goes sideways. Oh, yes. Yeah. Anytime a church, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of church discipline, but in my experience, church discipline takes so long and it falls so catastrophically short of justice um, you know, it's like um, in, in my case, uh, there's a particular abuser who um, he was a pastor. And he, when I was 16 or 17 years old, he propositioned me. And, you know, I told him, whoa, I'm, you know, I'm not comfortable with this conversation. And I walked away. Thank 
God, you know, but that was still there, that that trauma of knowing, whoa, this this church leader, this path trusted thinks about me like that. And um, it was about, oh goodness, 20 years later that he finally got excommunicated. But even then I was told it wasn't for child abuse. It was for something else. And so it's like, okay, so now he can't take communion anymore. Whoop-de-doo. You know, I just, it, church discipline, it's, it protects people in the church. And ideally it draws the sinner to repent. But when it comes to justice, it's absolutely nothing. And that's why we always must report crimes to law enforcement. And, you know, one of the things that always strikes me is, I mean, so imagine you're in a worship service, right? And you're, the worship service wraps up and you walk, everybody's walking out to the parking lot to get to your cars. And you notice that the pastor's tires have been slashed. And so what's, what are people going to do in that situation? The, t- the pastor's car has been vandalized. Well, you're going to report it to the police. You're going to report vandalism. But in so many cases of child abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, what I find is that the reaction is not to involve law enforcement. It's to cover it up. It's to in-house it. It's to kind of like, and I think it really comes down to pride. There's, um, there's, there's, of course, there's people who want to protect the brand. There's people who want to protect the church's reputation. And for some bizarre reason, they think covering crime is the way to do that. But then there's also people who think, you know, I'm a really great pastor and I'm a really great Bible teacher and I'm going to talk to this abuser and we're going to have this Paul on the road to Damascus experience where, where he repents mm. of his sin and he t- totally changes. And then instead of beating up people and oppressing them, he's going to become this great um, evangelist and, and it's going to be a great testimony that we can share in our church. And, and so they in-house this stuff. And so there's this massive misplacing of priorities. It's almost like the pastor's, you know, I use the analogy of the pastor's car, his tires being slashed. It's like the pastor's tires are valued more than the children in the church. Yeah. And it's, it's just absolutely appalling. And, and so there's this, there's this huge misunderstanding um, of the severity of sin you know, we tend to kind of put our, ourselves in God's place and say, you know what, if I forgive this person, I'm just going to wipe their slate clean and then everything will be fine. And, you know, maybe when that person, maybe that person is repentant, but we're not God, we're people. And so when we encounter sin, when we encounter evil, there's got to be consequences. I wonder too with this stuff, uh, how much... Do you think now that we have things like social media, I, I know people always say, you know, social media is bad. You get a lot of bad blowback on social media, but mm-hmm. I, I want to try to try to have some hope here, too. I think social media can be a great good for this stuff because I see a lot of uh, victims and survivors that otherwise would be very isolated, able to connect. I see people, you know, like it's no longer like this thing with the Southern Baptist Convention. Some people may not even know what that is. Now they can hear what that's about. I know a lot of us learned about the the way the Catholic Church worked during the Catholic Church scandals. We're learning it through political scandals now of how power and money and investigations work. I, I see hope. I think we should travel in hope. It's been a heavy topic today. 
I think we should travel and hope that we have a lot of these tools now that we maybe didn't have before. And may, maybe it seems like it's getting louder and worse because they're, the, the varmints are getting a little light on them and they're starting to scurry a little bit because yes. people have a lot of power now that they didn't previously have through technology. Absolutely. And it goes back to what we were originally talking about, about how abusers kind of um, surround themselves with people who are naive or gullible or or also corrupt and who are more likely to tolerate um, corrupt behavior because they're corrupt themselves. Um, but because of social media, uh, a, a victim, a person who's in that situation can um, can reach out, can get outside of that bubble and can network with other survivors, can network with advocates, people like me, and they can say, hey, this is happening in my life. What is this? What is, what is this? You know, is this a pattern that you've seen before? Is this abusive? Is this wrong? What is it? And, and pe- someone like me can go, yeah, that's, this is a pattern. This fits the pattern of abuse. This is how they're covering it up. This is how he's gaslighting you. This is how he's... Um, shifting blame onto you and silencing you and shaming you, you know, and, and I can tell them you need to get out of that situation. And I can't tell you how many times I've had that happen where, where abuse victims, both male and female will contact me, or maybe their spouse will contact me and say, Hey, we've got this situation in our life and I don't know how to deal with it. And I don't totally understand it. And because of my experience, I, I'm able to look at the patterns in their situation and say, yes, you're dealing with this sort of abuse. And, and here's the number for your local law enforcement. Here's the number for a counselor. This is the type of therapist you need to see, you know, and so I'm able to help them using my experience. And there's no way I could do that if it were not for social media. I, I, I think there's always hope. And I'm glad people like you, just, just so we end on a little bit of a light note, though. Um, what's a nice Christian lady like you doing singing In Flames covers? What, where's, the, where's the Danish death metal come into your whole ethos of who and what you are? Because I, I get a kick out of that. I'm a, I'm a metalhead from way back when. And, you know, I, I, I like worship music okay, but sometimes I just want to yell and scream. Yeah. So um, absolutely. just real quick and, as a musician, well, and- tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I connect a lot with music that that tackles darker topics. You know, I um, a lot of the topics um, we can relate. I can relate strongly with um, that particular In Flames cover is actually about dealing with a narcissistic abuser, and so it there's just things in metal music that I feel it's just very raw, very real, and authentic. And I love that about it. It just, um, I, I sometimes listen to worship music to kind of get me in the mood for church or, you know, to cheer me up when I'm feeling down. But there's other times when it's just, I really need um, music that grieves with me, music that's angry with me. And metal music does that for me. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I don't want to knock anybody else's, but um, some of the modern <laughs> worship stuff gets a little repetitive after a while oh, yeah. to me so I <laughs> yeah definitely I, I actually like a mix I'm like I'm, I'm not against a I'm a metalhead but I'm not against a pipe organ once in a while but I also want you know some <laughs> variety I hear you um, variety is healthy you know it is Jennifer Greenberg um, people can find you at uh, your website jennifergreenberg.net the book is fantastic I, I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy I've loaned it out three different times and it came back all three times that's a miracle in and of itself if you've ever loaned a book to anyone <laughs> um, that's awesome thank you yeah it's called Not Forsaken a Story 
story of life after abuse. It's on Amazon and everywhere else. What other projects do you got going that you want to let people know about? Well, if um, if they're interested, there's a free download on my website, jennifergreenberg.net. It's called Not Forsaken, A Shepherd's Guide. And it accompanies the book so you can get both. Um, but it also kind of stands alone. And basically what it is, it's a reference guide for, for church leaders and um, Christians in leadership roles so that they can understand the red flags um, of abuse so that they can uh, minister better to abuse victims and survivors, but also so that they notice when they're dealing with an abusive, controlling, toxic personality and, and they know when to report crime or when to um, outsource situations to, say, a therapist or law enforcement or lawyers or, or what have you. And just to kind of, to kind of build up um, Christian leadership so that they know how to handle these things. Because, you know, as people, we can only know so much. We can only specialize in so much, you know. And, and so I feel that if I can share some of my experience to help equip church leaders, um, seminary teachers, nonprofits, what have you, um, if I can use my experience to equip them, then, you know, maybe we can work together and, and, and maybe prevent abuse or, or help victims better. And I really feel that that's um, a calling that God has placed on my life, and it's something that I find really fulfilling. So if you want to log in, like I said, it's a, a free download, and it's a good, it's a good size manual. I want to say it's about a 330 pages or something like that, but it's a PDF and you can download it and share it with your team or whoever you want. Everything rises and falls on leadership. <laughs> so I think attacking the leadership and giving them the yeah. equipping that they need is the way to really kind of make a force multiplier to attack this issue. So I, I so appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. Well, they're, they're really the boots on the ground. You know, they, they encounter so many of these situations and I think a lot of times they don't even realize what it is that they're encountering. And so, you know, if we can kind of equip them to see that and know how to respond to it, I think that's really key in protecting a lot of children. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for being with us today. I know it was kind of a heavier topic, but uh, people like you that really do do the dirty work, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for your time today. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, ma'am. All right. You have a good day. So why is it important to talk about abuse when we talk about culture and politics? Well, as we heard from our conversation with Jennifer Greenberg, the SBC, the largest denomination of Protestants in America, a very big voting group when we talk about evangelicals in the news cycles. The leader of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the SBC was Russell Moore that we talked about, who Jennifer knows, who Jennifer worked with trying to raise awareness on these issues. He has left that post. That organization inside the SBC was the public policy arm. He, when he left, he wrote this letter to J.D. Greer, the president of the SBC, and he said, They do not want us to leave because they do not want the contingencies to which we speak to leave. What they want is for us to remain silent and live in psychological terror, to protect them by covering up what they do in the darkness, while asking our constituencies to come in and to stay in the SBC. 
This is the exact same behavior Jennifer was talking about as abusive behavior. And it's the same things we see not only in churches, but in families and in corporations and in politics. This is the politically active arm of one of the largest denominations of Christians in America. And if their leaders are saying this is going on behind closed doors, it taints the political advocacy that they point to. And it doesn't matter if it's Protestants, Catholics, a corporation, a political leader, or in your own home, we can never tolerate abuse because whatever the quote-unquote greater good the abuser claims needs to be held up to cover up their abuses. It's not worth the price in real-life human beings. Like Jennifer said, the first thing an abuser does is transfer all the guilt and all the onus for doing the right thing onto the victim and thus continuing to empower the abuser. And it's on all of us, wherever we find abuse, to stand up and go stop and to report it to authorities and to deal with it swiftly because nothing is worth the price of a child or an adult that has been abused. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Herd Tell. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave a comment and leave a rating. Those are really important. They let folks know that our little program is worth listening to. And we're going to continue to work really hard to bring you lots of knowledgeable guests who turn down the noise on what we're hearing in the news cycle and turn up the information so that we can understand what's going on in the world, discern our times, and have better information going forward as we both try to live our lives and participate in the discourse. So wherever you and yours are, we hope we find you well. Until we talk again, see y'all later. All the music on Her Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.